0: As we continue in the uh, Cross Fitness series, uh, this morning we're coming to the discipline on sim- of simplicity. Um, you can see the whole list that we've been working through this summer. Uh, as we talk about these different disciplines, you know, sometimes it's still people ask me, what are all the, the gears about? You know, the gears represent the various disciplines, how they work together uh, to, for God to accomplish His work in us. Uh, let's look at that list again real quickly. These are the, the disciplines that we're looking at this summer. Today, we're looking specifically at simplicity. Now, there's a whole lot that could be said about simplicity. In fact, I did a whole series on simplicity several years ago, five or six messages on simplicity. There's even a movement now devoted to simplicity. It's called the minimalist movement. It's not necessarily Christian. A lot of Christians are a part of that but it's a, it's a movement that extols the virtues and the benefits uh, of embracing a simple lifestyle. So we're hearing more and more about this. It's, it's actually in vogue more now than it's probably been in a long time. And certainly that in itself is biblical. I mean, it's, it's very consistent with the message of God's Word. I, I love Ecclesiastes 11.3, uh, especially in the TEV, the, the today's English version. It says, "This is all I have learned. God made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. You see, God made us to be simple people, and we're not made for complication. We're not made for uh, you know complex lives. We're made to be like children. That's why Jesus said so often, you know, if you're going to come to me, come to me as a little child. Come to me simply. We were made for simplicity and complexity." Uh, Simply brings into our lives things that we weren't meant for Um, But I want to remind us this morning I mean we could again talk about all kinds of things related to simplicity But in this particular series, we're talking about the spiritual disciplines So when we talk about the spiritual discipline of simplicity, I want to remind us of two things First of all, all of these disciplines are to be seen as means of grace We don't embrace them for what they are in and of themselves, so that's good and that's a blessing, but we embrace them because they are a means of bringing us before God, of establishing a, a strong and vital connection with God, and of keeping us in that place of connection so that God can do the work of transformation in our lives. These are means of grace. Secondly, they are meant to be intentional. There is intentionality with discipline. I mean, the very word implies intentionality. And that's what we're after. We're saying here that there is a reason that we need to be intentional about pursuing these means of grace. I mean, when you think about it, there are all kinds of forces that are at work against us. I mean, there is our flesh that very much wants to do its own thing, there is the world in which we live that very much wants to, to get us to do its thing. And then we have an enemy as well who will let us do anything as long as it's not worshiping God. And so against all of these forces, we want to be disciplined in order to intentionally maintain that sense of connection with God. That's what these are for. If you think back to where we were in the spring when we did the series on spring cleaning, I want to remind you that this series and that series go hand in glove. It was all born out of 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which says God is able to make his grace abound to us so that in all times, having everything we need in all places, we will abound in every good work. Uh, We're still talking about what it means to receive the abundant grace of God. And in the spring, we looked at those things that kind of serve to dam up the flow, things that block the flow of God's grace. These disciplines are meant to keep us vitally connected so that the flow will, not be, will be full and complete. Now, if you'll remember in the spring, there were a number of cisterns that we talked about. We talked about Jeremiah 2 where God says, you know, my desire is that you would know me as your spring of living water. But you have done two things wrong, Israel. But it also speaks to us as well. You have not only forsaken me, the spring of living water, but you've dug your own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. These are the blockages. These are the things that get in the way. And if you remember, three of those were materialism, busyness, and people-pleasing. There's others, but these were three in particular that we talked about in the spring. And I bring that up to say this. In many respects, the discipline of of simplicity is the positive response to those obstacles. It is the way that we, it's what we give ourselves to positively in order to deal with the blockages of materialism, busyness, and people-pleasing. Now, you know, it could be said that that, that that's what that is, but I want to remind us of this. This all must be seen as something that begins in the heart you know, we, 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 we often tend to hear messages like this. and I'm just going to lay this out before you this morning. We often hear messages like this and immediately begin to think, you know, how do I put this suit on? How do I wear this suit? You know, how do I put these things into practice? But it's very important today to remember that this must begin as an inside story. When we start on the outside, it may look like godliness, but it almost always becomes anything but. Legalistic, pharisaical, all of those things. But when it starts in the heart, and we understand the heart of the matter, and we understand that the heart of the matter is to be vitally connected to God and learn to walk with Him day in and day out, then the fruit that He produces will be a beautiful thing. If it begins in the inside and grows out to the outside, then that's a beautiful thing. That's what we're after. And when I think about the heart of the spiritual discipline of simplicity, I am always drawn to Matthew 6, 19 through 34. This is a powerful, powerful passage. And I want us to to read it together. I'm going to read it out loud. I want to encourage you to follow with me in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the overhead. But one thing that I want to draw attention to uh, in your Bibles, you will see this. On screen, you don't. These should be red letters. That means that these are the words of Jesus. Straight out of the heart of Jesus. Listen to what he says. Beginning in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in And seal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, then the whole body will be good, or be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Uh, And is not the body more important than the clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than valuable? Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about these things? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after such things. But seek first... uh, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness... And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, there are probably many parts of that passage that are familiar to you. But I wanted to read the entire passage because sometimes we pull quotes out of that passage and we forget the context and the fact that they're all deeply connected. I want to take just a moment to kind of work through each part of this because all of them, uh, every part of this is connected to every other part. It begins when Jesus says to us, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I don't know about you, but I, 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 there's a part of me that almost thinks that this, we can understand how this could have been said the other way around, or uh, how Jesus might have said, whatever you treasure, um, wherever your heart is, that's what you will treasure. I mean, there's a, there's a part of us that thinks that's the way it could have been said. Uh, Wherever your heart is, that's what you're going to treasure. Jesus says just the opposite. He says that whatever you treasure will ultimately have your heart. And it's very important to understand that distinction. And there are two reasons for it. The first one is this, beloved. The first thing is this. We were made to worship God. The reason we are here, the reason we exist, is to worship Him. And so worship is in our spiritual DNA. We are made to worship something other than ourselves. And here's the key. If we worship God, then then our lives will be in order and we will live in harmony with what we were created to be. But if we do not worship God, something else will take his place. And we will ultimately worship whatever it is that we value, whatever it is that we treasure. The other reason that this is true is because God made us to be whole beings. He didn't make us to live fractured lives where, you know, we say one thing and do another or we we have divided loyalties. He made us to be whole so that every part of our being could be bound together in one place with integrity and wholeness. And so Jesus is saying here, whatever you treasure will ultimately have your heart. Then he goes into this portion where he talks about the eyes. He's talked about the heart, now he talks the eyes. Now, i got to tell you, for the longest time, I I, I just could not see the connection between this part of the passage and what preceded it or what comes after. I mean, uh, you can kind of see the connection with what comes after. He says you can't serve two masters. Well, that makes sense with the whole where your treasure is, there your heart will be. But what does the eye thing have to do with the whole passage? Well, it really begins to make sense when you dig into the language of this verse. Uh, as I began to study the depths of this, here's what I discovered. First of all, when Jesus says, if your eyes are good, then your whole body will be full of light. You have to understand that the, the Greek word that is translated there, good, it's haplus. That Greek word literally means single or simple. He says, when your eye is single, then your whole body is going to be filled with light. But if your eye is bad, and here he's talking about a diseased eye, what is a diseased eye? It's one that doesn't, can't focus, one that is double vision or, or, or cross-eyed, so to speak. And, and so a bad eye is incapable of focusing in on one thing. But a good eye is capable of focusing in on on when, in fact, the truth of the matter is, your eyes were made, and so were mine, to be able to focus on only one thing at a time. Several years ago, I actually had the privilege of working with a guy who, uh, who, who taught people how to shoot uh, aspirin out of the air with a BB gun. Uh, I mean, I would like to shoot. I'm a hunter, and so I, I thought, that'd be really cool to be able to do that. And so he took me, and in, literally in 20 minutes... He got me to the place where I could shoot an aspirin in the air uh, with a BB gun. And you think that's really something? Well, almost everybody can do it. I mean, it's just not as hard as it sounds because he made the point. He says, here's the thing God created your eye so that you can only focus on one thing. If you will stay, he says, when you shoot, you typically are trying to figure out where to point the gun. The whole thing here is don't focus on where to point, focus on the thing you're shooting at. And if you do, then your brain will automatically take you to the right lead to hit the target. The whole thing, though, was bound on this principle of you can only focus on one thing at a time. God made our eyes that way, and we were meant to live focused lives. Now, then that flows into the next part of this passage where Jesus says, You can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't have this master and that master. You're not made for two masters. You will ultimately serve one master. Uh, and then he begins to talk about worry. And you may say, well, what does worry have to do with all this? Well, again, looking at the Greek language, the word worry comes from the Greek word marissa, which literally means to divide or pull apart. So think about that. When we worry, what are we doing? When we worry, our heart is divided. Part of us wants to trust God, part of us does not want to trust God. Part of us wants to stand in faith, and part of us is afraid. And so worry is to divide our hearts between trust in God and trust in the things of this world. And so what do we begin to see? In every point, what does Jesus say? You were made for simplicity, you were made for focus. And that is the heart of the matter. And that's why Jesus arrives at the very end. He says, therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I love that Jesus does point out here, and, and uh, to actually address very specifically, God cares about your needs. God knows what you need. God will give you what you need. In fact, you're going to learn that God is going to give you what you need abundantly and extravagantly. But God knows what you need. Don't focus on the stuff that God is going to give you. Focus on God Himself and trust God to provide. So we were made for focus, for simplicity in our walk with God. And I want to emphasize something here. This is not primarily about getting rid of stuff as much as it is about getting connected to the right thing. I mean, in a nutshell, what are the main points here? We're made for one master. Um, You know, it's all about having focus and being focused in the right place, and ultimately, it's about getting attached to something that is so great, so good, so wonderful, that nothing else can stick. That is simplicity. It's not to say that we won't have complex lives or we don't have other things in our lives, but that our first loyalty and our first connection is with God. Everything else flows out of that, and that is simplicity. Now, I'll tell you, I I never cease to be amazed at at God's timing. Um, Three months ago, I and the worship team looked at this series, planned which disciplines we would address on each Sunday and determined three months ago that on August the 10th, I would be speaking to you on the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Now, around the same time in the Cowart household, we decided that the week prior to August the 10th, we would go to Arkansas to help Pam's mother move into the house that her brother left her when he died recently. Um, And so we left Sunday night to go out to Arkansas, to be there Monday, Tuesday, part of the day Wednesday was a very short trip. We were able to get out there, get her moved, and get back as quickly as possible. Um, we were on Wednesday. We were with literally within hours of finishing up our part of this process when the house that she was moving into caught on fire and almost burned down. Uh, it didn't quite burn down, but it did so much damage that they're going to basically have to take the entire house down to the studs and then rebuild it from within. And uh, some of you, if you follow Pam on Facebook or you're a Facebook friend, you know that uh, the day after, she posted something on Facebook about what took place. And um, I just want to read to you in her own words what happened. Um, So, hard few days... Long story, but want to get it out. Keith and I have been helping my mom move from her house into the house her brother left to her when he passed away. After much progress, we took a load of boxes Wednesday morning, and I made a split-second decision to slide a box onto the stove, making room for the next load. Twenty minutes later, we returned, and the kitchen was burning. The house was filled with smoke and was blazing hot. I cannot put into words the combination of panic and racing thoughts of how to make it stop. Keith ran to call 911. I stupidly, those are her words, by the way, not mine. I stupidly ran back into the house while it's on fire to try to get to the alarm panel, to to push the... uh, and to try to, get to, the, to try to push the alarm panel for the sm- fire alarm uh, and to get the burning boxes off of the stove. It was way too far gone. I have a few memory lapses after that, but the fire department came and got it out, but not before the damage was so extensive that it must be torn down to the studs throughout the house. My mom will be displaced for four to six months. We have great family there who will help her, and I'll be back as soon as I can get Aaron started into a school year. There are many brighter sides, but I'm not quite feeling them yet. The story was on the front page of the hometown newspaper the next day. Luckily, they got my name wrong. <laughs> Somebody named Pat Burkett did this. Um, we're still looking for Pat Burkett. Don't know where she is. Pam closes, thanks for the prayers and the perspective. I want to say, first of all, how much um, my wife's courage inspires me. That she would post that, that she would decide to get this in the light, you know, and just put it out there as a tremendously courageous thing to do. Just as racing into a burning house to try to get to the alarm was also a courageous thing. Some of you may remember several years ago, that she and Robin Kennedy took a trip out to San Diego and got in a van with three drunk Marines who ended up attacking the driver, and my wife and Robin Kennedy are kicking them and hitting them over the head with a purse, trying to get them off the driver. I will tell you, I have a courageous wife. and um, I'm very, very proud of my wife, and I'm grateful for her courage in putting this out there and sharing it openly. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, in these last few days since this took place, we've been very much living with this message of simplicity in the sense that, you know, the question arises, you know, where are we going to put our security? Do we put our security in stuff? Or do we put our security in God? I mean, you know, where, where do we find our Security. Do we love stuff or ultimately do we love God? And, and then the whole thing of, you know, what are people going to say and what are people thinking? Uh, I want to be very clear that no one out there or here has said anything but positive, encouraging words. But you can imagine especially how much attack Pam has been under from the enemy to get consumed with what people may think or say. And all of this is distracting from that place of simplicity of simply resting in Him. But I want to share with you something that she wrote last night, uh, reflecting on that day. This is what she wrote last night. Um, When I was finally quiet before the Lord after this crazy incident, I heard Him asking me some loving but firm questions. Now, she asked me to emphasize the loving part. Uh, When you hear what I'm about to read, you may feel like God's pretty mean there, but the, the truth is, He said this in a way that was incredibly gentle, loving, and and caring. But this is what he said. Why are you surprised? I have told you that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I have asked you never to anchor yourself to anything that can shake. Material possessions, people, circumstances, your own abilities, etc., The shaking came today. Why are you so shocked and rattled by this? Where are you standing? On rock or on sand? I am your rock. And then this. You often quote, it's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn in the end. Are those just words on your lips or truth in your heart? Do you say that out of some reverse pride to display that you're not attached to material things? Are you able to face this truth head on, even when the smoke is burning in your throat? Release any grip on things that will burn. I've got you. You are You see, it's one thing to talk about the idea of simplicity. It's one thing to even, you know, be moved by the idea of living a simple life. But God is desperately trying to take us to a place of reality. Not just hypothetical, not just theory, not just principles, but to take us to a place of reality. Uh, The scripture that she was referring to in the first part of that is in Hebrews 12 where God says, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. But beloved, hear this. That, that's not violence on the part of God. That's God saying, I want you to be able to stand on something that cannot be shaken. So I'm going to shake and show you everything in your life that's not secure so that ultimately you can find yourself standing on that which can never be shaken. You see, that's what simplicity is all about. This is a gift, beloved. This is not punishment. God's not saying, I don't want to bless you. I don't, I don't want you to have stuff. God's saying, this stuff is fine as long as that's not where your security is. Stuff is, it can be a blessing as long as that's not where you find your identity and your security. Simplicity is ultimately not so much about what it looks on the outside as much as it is about a heart that is firmly and completely and solely, singly, simply attached to him. That's what we mean by simplicity. And, beloved, there is tremendous peace. There is tremendous strength in that place of resting simply on the promises of God. Amen? Now, sometimes we go through things like this where God actually puts us in a place where we have to experience it in order for God to do His work. Let me just be clear. God didn't cause this to happen. This is not something that God, I don't believe that God did this, but I will tell you this. God never misses an opportunity to use whatever comes into our life to do His work. And this wasn't just for Pam. I can tell you the truth of the matter is Pam did not struggle with these things as much as I do. And and there's no doubt that we were in this together. And it was like, you know, Lord, what are you trying to, to, where are you trying to take us? What are you trying to do in our hearts through this? But it's extremely important that we not just leave this in the realm of, hypo, of hypothetical, in the realm of theory, but that we really do come to a place of concretely living it out. And that's what the discipline is all about, the discipline of intentionally doing things that bring simplicity into our lives. I want to share a quote with you that I, I've remembered for many, many years. It's from William Barclay, and this is what he says. There is nothing more dangerous than a repeated experience of a fine emotion with no attempt to put it into action. It is a fact that every time a man feels a noble impulse without taking action, he becomes less likely to ever take action. In a sense, it's true to say that a man has no right to feel sympathy unless he at least tries to put that sympathy into action. An emotion is not something in which to to savor or delight in. It is something which at the cost of discipline and of sacrifice must be turned into the stuff of life. So I need to close today by helping us somehow to get our hearts and our minds around what does this look like in reality. Now, what I'm going to give you are just some thoughts and some suggestions. God may be speaking to you about something very specific. Listen to him. But let me share some things that may help to prime the pump. First of all, practical response, something to do concrete. I would encourage you to read a book on the subject. Now, don't, just, don't, don't read books for the rest of your life on the subject. As you read the book, ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? But, you know, there's, there's Richard Foster's great classic work called The Freedom of Simplicity. Great, great book on, on simplicity. Um, More recently, there are books like Radical by David Platt. Uh, Jen Hatmaker, whose husband, by the way, is a free Methodist pastor, wrote the book Seven that talks about identifying seven things in your life. I've not read the book, but I've heard that it's an outstanding book on practically moving towards simplicity. Seven by Jen Hatmaker. Read the book, but more than that, act on it. Secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the presence of waste or excess in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to basically you know, shine the x-ray of, of, of His Spirit into your heart and just show you where in your life there's excess and waste. Uh, I want to read another quote, this time from Richard Foster. Richard Foster says, Because we lack a divine center, our need for security has led us into an insane attachment to things. We really must understand that the lust for affluence in contemporary society is psychotic. And then he explains why he says that. It's psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things we do not want to impress people we don't even like. That's insane. That's psychotic. But there's one last part of that quote. You're not going to like this one as much, I don't think. But let me share it with you. The last part of that quote is this. It is time to awaken to the fact that to conform to a sick society is to be sick. And so we have to have the courage to say, God, search my heart. Search my life. And show me where there is excess or waste. Show me so that number four comes into play. Sorry, number three, make a habit to eliminate waste and divest of excess. So ask the Lord to say, Come and show me, but with the intention that you're actually going to respond. That you will look for ways to eliminate waste and to divest of excess. And that will bring greater simplicity into your life. Number four, ask the Holy Spirit to show you where your life is out of order. This is not just about stuff, it's not just about money for sure. Uh, you, you think about our lives, and when we talk about simplicity, we're talking about our schedules, we're talking about our calendars, we're talking about our—you know, just the way we live our lives on a daily basis. I mean, there are many of us that have just kind of acquiesced to this idea that that's just the world we live in. And, and, and there's, just, there's nothing I can do about it. But I want you to know there is something we can do. If we will be intentional to use calendars, management tools, whatever the Lord may lead you to, but use some means of bringing order into your life. If it's financial, use a budget. If it's your life, use a calendar. Use some kind of tool to actually be ruthlessly devoted to bringing order and simplicity into every part of your life. Uh, number six, this is very closely related. Number six is learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. I mean, one of the reasons that many of our lives are out of order it's because we don't know how to say no. We, we feel guilty when we say no. And so we say yes to everything that comes along, and then we can't fulfill the obligations. Then our lives are completely chaotic and out of order. We must learn how to say no. I love what Covey said years ago when he wrote uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, we can say no when we have a deeper yes burning within. And that's critically, uh, critical to understanding this because the point is not... Just to say no to everything, that's going to the opposite extreme. The reason you want to say no to some things is because you want to say yes to the things that God says you are to truly be about. You see, there are things that God wants you to be about. There are things that God wants you to give yourself to. And you can't give yourself to those things well if you're giving yourself to many, many things that God has not called you to. So the point of being able to say no is to be able to say yes to the things that God truly wants us to say yes to. Number seven, reject anything that's possessing you. Um, We we don't want to be possessed by anything but the Holy Spirit of God. We don't want to be owned by anything but the Spirit of God. And I suspect that most of us, deep, deep down, understand when there's something that's got its clutches in us. It may not be something bad. It may not be something bad at all may actually be something good, but when you begin to recognize that that thing owns me, it possesses me, then you want to be free of that because God wants you free of everything that binds you so that you will live fully in the things that he's called you to. And then lastly, develop the habit of giving things away. Now, this is not just about excess and and waste. This is developing the habit of giving we talked about this last week when we talked about stewardship. And that's why, you know, some people are, are still asking, now what are these gears all about? Uh, the gear, each one represents a different discipline. The big gear in the middle it represents God who makes all of it turn. But all of these disciplines are connected. And, and one of the best ways to practice simplicity is to embrace the discipline of giving. To give not simply because we've got too much, but to give freely in order that we don't become attached to our stuff. Now, I want to share with you one very concrete way that you can put that into practice this week. Uh, This was also something that was not planned three months ago. God put all this together. But this coming Saturday, we have a group of people who are going to be pulling off a free yard sale giveaway here at the church. It's going to be this massive thing. It's going to be extremely well run. Uh, that people can't just come in and start grabbing stuff. It's going to be done in a way to make sure that the people who need things can get them. By the way, we're also going to be working specifically with people that we're connected to in the community. So we're going to be working with our connections at Carver. We're going to be working with our connections at Mercy Med. We're going to be working with our connections at Highland Community Church, all to find people who are truly in need. And we're going to invite them to come And we're going to give them things that they need in order to live life well. Now, the challenge to us is to bring things that will bless others. Somebody on our staff said, let's challenge everybody to bring 20 things. Let's go home and find 20 things that you can and desire to give away. And bring them. Now, we've got a pod in the back it's already full. People have been doing this for weeks. Some of you have heard the announcements for the last several weeks, and you've been bringing stuff. But we want to bring more so that more people can be blessed. If you want to bring something, we're just going to fill the front of this church uh, all week long. Just come by the office. They'll tell you where to bring it. But we want to encourage you. This is a very concrete, practical way to put this into action this Sunday. I want to call you now to response. And I want to encourage you to do what you need to do. Now, we're going to have communion. And I want to ask those who are serving to go ahead and make their way up and prepare the elements. As you come, you don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a believer, you're invited to come and share in Holy Communion. And I want to remind you as you come today, on this day as we talk about simplicity, I want to remind you that we come celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was singly, simply focused on giving his life for the salvation of our souls. As you come and you take this bread, remember that it's, his, it's a symbol of his body that was broken. As you dip it into the juice, remember that he gave everything, even his blood, to pay for our sin. So as you come, remember that very important fact and reality. And come giving your heart fully and completely to him. Others of you may need to just spend some time in prayer. These altars are open. If you want to come and kneel, just feel free to make yourself at home at the altars. If you want someone to pray with you, just lift a hand. We've got people that are trained and ready to pray for you. But let me ask you, if you will, to stand. Let's not leave today. Before we've had an opportunity to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do in response? Let's just begin to listen to the Lord and allow Him to lead us this morning.